What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This episode is brought to you by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club is fighting for a chance at promotion. These two Hollywood stars lead a team in the midst of history in the making, while dedicated staff and supporters hold on to a dream of returning the team and this working-class town in Wales to glory. FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres September 12th on FX. Stream on Hulu. You can trust your car to the place with the star To get you to the things you love or travel near and far With Texaco at your side, that can be a lovely ride So trust your car to Texaco Star Texaco with Tecron, unbeatable mileage You will never have heard of John Project. That's okay, he did not have a huge career I can tell you that he was a draftsman when not playing professional sport And when not drafting, he was signed as a goalkeeper for Charlton Athletic, but he never actually went on to play for them. As a cricketer, he played 153 professional matches. And in first-class cricket, he averaged 20 with the bats. And he was a specialist batter. He made 100 every 50 games. And this was not as uncommon in the 1950s and 60s. And one reason he was chosen so often, despite not making a lot of runs, is because he had incredible athleticism and fielding skills. For instance, Proger took eight catches in a match against Gloucestershire in 1961. That is a huge amount of catches by a non-wicketkeeper, and it was the record for a Kent outfielder. But those are not the catches I want to tell you about. I want to tell you about the time where he just took one, but it was something that no one has ever done before. In 1963, playing for Kent, Proger took an amazing catch in two different ways. One was the skill he needed to pull off a catch like that. Those who saw it said it was incredible. But more importantly for this particular podcast, it would seem to be the only catch recorded in first-class cricket history where batter took a catch in the same innings he made a 50. Yeah, it's that weird. This is Double Century, the podcast on the history of cricket. This season, we wanted to visit some of the weirdest stories in our game. Cricket has a unique ability to meld itself into different cultures, even outside of sport, and produce wild tales. So this season will include theatre, sausages, dogs, and perhaps the most famous disability match ever played. But also, this episode is on the game where the umpires declared for the batting team. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2, now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us, all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots, shots, shots! Now streaming. 
He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Vacation Friends 2. Rated R. Now streaming only on Hulu. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. So the game where John Prodger takes that catch, it's because Middlesex had traveled down from North London to Tunbridge Wells, which was an outground for Kent, not that far from the city of London. And as tourists had done pretty well on their first day, Middlesex had dismissed Kent for 150, with Fred Titmus taking four wickets for 39 runs. No one made more than 35 runs for Kent. Then Middlesex went out to bat, quickly lost two wickets, the Russells, Eric and Sid, before Peter Parfitt and Bob White made 50s, and at the close of play, with the latter still there, they were only 29 runs behind Kent, with seven wickets still available. White is an interesting character, because he started his first-class career in 1958 as a batter for Middlesex. He was actually a professional on the ground staff of Lords as early as 1951. He was a professional who tried very hard at his cricket, but he did struggle to make runs for Middlesex, and he left the county eventually in 1965. The following year, he turned up at Nottinghamshire, and he delivered some off-spin for them and took 43 wickets. He would then go on to play with Notts until 1980, meaning that he had a 22-year career as a professional cricketer in England, and he would end up with 693 first-class wickets, zero of them for Middlesex in his first eight years, and 693 for Notts at an average of 30. Oh, and in his second-last first-class match, it was against Derbyshire in 1980, he took 10 wickets in the game and completely destroyed Derby. He was an incredible player. Not that any of this has anything to do with what happened between Middlesex and Kent on that day. Well, actually, the next day. Well, actually, not the next day, the day after. Because this was a three-day first-class game, and the first day was played on a Saturday. And perhaps the Middlesex team didn't want to have a boring Saturday night in Tunbridge Wells. Because they knew they had a rest day on the Sunday, they'd rather make the trek of roughly two to two and a half hours back home to their families. And feel free to wonder to yourself out loud why there might be a rest day in a three-day game. But that was how county cricket was. Obviously, Middlesex felt that they were just close enough to home to make the journey and know that they could always just make their way back on Monday morning when the game restarted. The problem for anyone from a big city like London would be obvious in the previous comment. Driving home on Saturday night wouldn't have been that hard. You would have driven through the country for a little while, eventually hit London quite late, and hopefully would have got a pretty good run with traffic. But London on a Monday morning, that was never going to be easy. And so at 11.30am on Monday, when the scheduled play was due to start, there were only three Middlesex players at the ground. One of them was our friend Bob White, who was of course not out, so he could just go out and continue to bat. But the other two Middlesex players at the ground were of no use at all. Sid Russell was there, but if you're listening very carefully, you'll remember he had already been dismissed. And the other Middlesex player there was Ted Clark, who obviously would have loved to have gone out and batted, but he was the 12th man. 
So Middlesex could not even make a single batting partnership when the game started. The umpires in Kent went out to the middle to wait, and eventually White came out, all kitted up and ready to bat as well. You would think that all the people there were looking towards the car park, waiting for a bunch of cars to suddenly speed into the ground, hopefully with a fully dressed batter emerging. But none of that happened. So now the umpires had to make a fairly big call. And these weren't noobs. Oswald William Lefty Herman of Hampshire umpired 322 matches. And Albert Enyon Grucott Dusty Rhodes of Derbyshire, he looked after 275 games. They were both senior professional umpires, but neither had ever encountered a situation anything like this. I mean, this is just something that doesn't normally happen. Teams don't usually drive a few hours away in the middle of a game, even on a rest day. And this is where it got very fun, because the umpires just didn't know what they had to do. Ron Hooker was not out, and obviously he should have been batting with Bob White. And they did think about ruling the non-appearing non-striker out. But there was actually no law that allowed them to do that at the time. Even the timed-out law would not have helped them, mostly because it did not appear at that stage. But even if it did, I don't think it would have helped. Because this is the law as it currently stands, and as far as I'm aware, this is roughly what it has always been. After the fall of a wicket or the retirement of a batter, the incoming batter must, unless time has been called, be ready to receive the ball, or for the other batter to be ready to receive the ball within the next three minutes of the dismissal or retirement. If this requirement is not met, the incoming batter will be out, timed out. But Ron Hooker was not the incoming batter. He was the set batter, and there had been no wicket. But certainly, he was going to struggle to get there within three minutes. So they didn't go with that plan. They then thought about just awarding the match to Kent. But on what grounds? Middlesex had three representatives at the ground, and they knew the rest of the team was on its way. I mean, it would have been a huge penalty for what was just a traffic error, even if no one could blame the umpires for making this call, and Middlesex had completely brought it on themselves by at least not coming back on Sunday night. The last option that the umpires had is that they could force Middlesex to declare. But Cole Dryborough, the captain, was absent. Did one of Russell or White have the power to declare? Could they make a new captain for this moment? But in the end, it was the umpires who made the decision. And I've certainly never seen this recorded anywhere ever before or since. They declared. The umpires declared the innings for Middlesex. Or as it was sometimes worded at the time, like in Wisden, they officially closed the innings. In fact, no one is actually sure of what term they used, but it doesn't really matter because they were making up the laws as they went along. This now meant that there was a 10-minute gap in which everyone hoped that the Middlesex players would just, you know, turn up. Because if not, it meant that the visitors were now going to be fielded with only three players. So England legend Colin Cowdery decided to at least try and get a game on. Perhaps because he thought it was all ridiculous, or because it was a home game and he had some crowd there. Or maybe he just realised now that it was a chance of his team actually winning this game, because they now had a first innings lead, and that would have seemed impossible at stumps on day one. And Cowdery allowed Clark, the Middlesex 12th man, to keep, which was not allowed under the laws at that time. But he also went out of his way and he provided them with eight substitute fielders. But just as Middlesex were about to go out on the field, three more Middlesex players arrived. Thankfully, including John Price, their opening bowler, and a medium pacer called Don Bennett. So Kent only provided five substitute fielders, Derek Underwood, Tony Catt, 
Alan Brown, John Dye, and of course, the man we mentioned at the start, the great fielder, John Proger. And of all of Cowdery's niceties, whatever his ulterior motives might have been, giving them Proger might have been the best. This all meant that after they finally got out to play and a few overs were bowled, Bennett was bowling to Brian Luckhurst when he took the outside edge, which flew towards second slip, where John Proger took an incredible catch. That means that John Proger caught his own teammate, like it was, I don't know, a kid's game or some midweek beer match. Thankfully, not long after that, the rest of Middlesex finally turned up and the game went back to normal. Of course, it didn't really go back to normal because Proger then left the field, padded up and came into bat at number six and he smashed 74 runs. This was his sixth highest score in first class cricket. Kent would go on to make 341, but they batted on so long that Middlesex didn't actually have time for a chase. So in the end, Middlesex were 82 for three when the game was called off. And do you know who one of the not-out batters was? It was Bob White. Again, not out in both innings. And so I wanted to leave you with one last thing. After his time on the Lord's ground staff and his 22-year playing career, do you know what White added to the end of that? A 19-year career as an umpire meaning that he signed up as a Lawns Ground staff member around 1951, and he finished up as an umpire in 2002. He was involved with cricket the whole time, other than a brief two years doing national service in the British Army. So basically, 50 years of English cricket service. He cut the grass, he batted, he bowled, he managed, he coached, and then he umpired the game he loved. And so that makes Bob Wyatt one of the most experienced cricket people in the world ever. And so what I want to know now, more than anything in the world, is that if Bob White had not been the batter, but in fact the umpire, what would he have done? But the most important thing, I suppose, is in what was one of the stupidest matches of cricket ever played, Bob White remained undefeated. Thanks for listening to Double Century. This podcast was made entirely possible by our supporters at Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Double Century is a podcast narrated, produced, and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer, and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes, and co-produces the show. Sports Social Podcast Network.